Good evening. Glad that you could be here. For the benefit of those who were not here this morning, let me quickly recapitulate. We saw from Ezekiel's first vision in chapter 1 several things about God. We discovered that God is holy, that God is universal in presence, in power, and in knowledge. And we also saw that God is mission-minded and that he is personal. And the context that we have tonight from the story from chapter 2 onwards is that in chapter 4 we see a load of symbolic actions of Ezekiel lying down facing a map or cutting off hair and destroying it in chapter 5. And then in verses eight, chapters 8 to 11, he has this vision of Jerusalem, of idolatry in the temple, and the glory of God leaving Jerusalem. And then in chapter 12, we have some more symbolic actions, such as digging, digging through the wall of his house, or eating in fear. And then in the last part of chapter 12 to chapter 24, we see all sorts of prophecies concerning Israel. And finally we get there to Israel's sin history, and the death of Ezekiel's wife, and he isn't allowed to show any public mourning for her. And then in chapter 25 to, to chapter 32, we see prophecy concerning foreign nations. And here in this last section, from chapter 33 to 39, we see salvation for Israel, where Ezekiel is a watchman, there's a call to repent, Jerusalem falls and God allows Ezekiel to speak. And then in chapter 35, there's a prophecy against Mount Silt. There's a restoration of Israel in chapter 36, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Then in chapter 37, there's a vision of dry bones. And that, as I said, is the section we are in tonight. So please do turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel and chapter 36. And we're going to look at tonight, verses 22 to 28. And the title that I have given this sermon is God, So What? And we're going to continue to investigate briefly together five things about God. How relevant God is to us and how we are to react to him. So firstly, verses 22 to 23. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. So firstly we're talking about a God who is holy. And as we saw this morning, God is holy. God's holy name is set apart because of its uniqueness, distinctiveness and power. And the nation of Israel was to be God's representative to the pagan nations and to the world. But Israel had disobeyed and now God's name was a laughing stock amongst the nations. So God was going to act so that all nations of the world would recognize his sovereign power because of what he would do in them and for them. And this really does illustrate how bad a job Israel, as a nation, had done it being God's chosen people, or his representatives, if you like. 
So God himself would perform the function himself by revealing himself so that the world would know that he is the sovereign God over all. He would do this for the sake of his name. They and we deserved nothing. They had failed him in every direction and they had failed themselves. But far more important than them and us is that God should be known and revealed to the world. Without that, there could be no salvation or no deliverance. Without that, the saving purposes of God would fail. So by their own folly, Israel had ceased to be important, except as a means by which the world could see the glory and love of God, for they had forfeited their right to any privilege. That is why the concentration had now to be on redeeming the situation, by using them as a means to reveal that very love and glory. And secondly, it's a God who gathers, verse 24, For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you to your own land. This gathering of the people of Israel back to the land of Israel began as a relative trickle on the decree of Cyrus and we read about that in Ezra chapter 1. And it continued over a long period, with more and more people returning from all over the known world, until Israel was a recognized nation once again, and established in its own land with its own capital city, relatively free from idolatry and worshipping in its own way. And then thirdly, there's a God who cleanses, verses 25, and he operates, verse 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel instantly would have had images of Leviticus in his mind at this point. So when the priestly Ezekiel spoke of clean water, He had in mind water that had been cleansed by sacrifice. And indeed this was the only kind of water that was ever sprinkled. In Leviticus the cleansing of a defiled house required sprinkling with a mixture of blood and living water. The bird having been slain over the water in Leviticus 14 verse 51 and in Numbers 8, 7 and 19, 2 to 22 the water of separation, this was also called living water, is mentioned. It was water that had been sprinkled with the ashes of a red heifer, Numbers 19 verse 2, and was kept aside for the purifying by sprinkling of those who had touched a dead body. Thus in both cases, the water had been cleansed by sacrifice and the shedding of blood. The cleansing was to be through the blood of sacrifice, applied through the sprinkled water. But this water was here to be sprinkled by God himself, acting as the high priest. Before anything else, the people needed to be cleansed by the divine water of separation sprinkled on them by God from their defilement brought on them through their sinful ways and their idolatry. There is no cleansing without the shedding of blood. This points forward to the fountain open for sin and uncleanness in Zechariah chapter 13 and its efficacy depended on the one who would be slain, 
as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, whose benefit reached backwards to sins undone or done aforetime, according to Paul in Romans 3.25. And then they were to receive a new heart and a new spirit, indeed God's own spirit. The heart included the mind, the will and the emotions, and it was the whole of the inner person. The spirit was the life principle within, the inner impulse, and while it could include the activities of heart, mind and will, it was also that which was Godward and which was affected by God's Spirit. So the idea here is of the renewing of the whole inner person, and of an awakening towards God. And its effect is then described, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And instead of hardness, there would be tenderness. Instead of obduracy, there would be yielding. Instead of coldness there will be warmth, and instead of disobedience there would be obedience. The law would be put in their inward parts and in their hearts, and they would know Yahweh individually through this new covenant. And this process of cleaning we now know as sanctification. We have been sanctified, Hebrews 10 verse 10, been washed clean, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, and have perfect holiness, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. And we are being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ and being conformed to his likeness. It is a process. And we as Christians, if we are Christians, are to be living sacrifices, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this holiness we are to have is the pursuit of moral excellence, not just obeying the law, and is by necessity a high standard. And this process of sanctification is where God the Holy Spirit transforms us into the likeness of Christ. As we walk and live in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control is produced in your life and my life if we are Christian. And our condition before God if we are his follower is now one of being set apart and separated from sin. And we have attained moral holiness, even if we don't show it. And in principle we are saints, and God has already declared us sanctified. We have been made holy, Hebrews 10 verse 10, and we are washed and sanctified. And in practice, as growing Christians, we should be perfecting holiness, freed from the contamination of sin. And that's the process of becoming Christ-like, becoming more like Jesus, and have a transformation of character by the renewal of our minds. And the standard all those who would follow God as Christians are to attain and maintain is to be holy as He is holy. And the process, as I said, by which this is achieved is through the Christian devoting themselves to righteousness with a desire and a choosing to be holy, submitted and consecrated to God. And Christians, we are to put off the old nature, to crucify the, the old passions and desires, and put on this new nature. We are created to be like God. And this is all done by a work of God, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he is, number four, a God who indwells. 
verse 27. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. How can all this come about? It can only be through the work of God himself. If it was by our own efforts, we would fail continually. No, it was to be through God's very spirit that this great work would come about. It is he who would cause his people to walk in his statutes and keep his judgments in their hearts and in their lives. This Holy Spirit is God, is a member of the Trinitarian Godhead. He is spoken of as God. The attributes of God are ascribed to the Holy Spirit, life, truth and love. It was he who spoke through the Old Testament prophets and induced godliness, Ezekiel chapter 36. And he equipped God's leaders for service, such as Judges 13 verse 25 and Zechariah 4 verse 6. And this Holy Spirit is also a person. Some people, particularly in songs, refer to the Holy Spirit as it, but they are clearly wrong and it is erroneous. The Holy Spirit is always referred to as he in the New Testament. He relates to us as a person, for he is a comforter, guide and teacher. He can be blasphemed against and be grieved, and wherever the Holy Spirit is, the Father and the Son are also present, because they are one. And this God, this powerful, almighty God, lives inside each Christian through that Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, a person cannot be a Christian. The Holy Spirit indwells the Christian, and is assured proof of their being God's possession. The Holy Spirit is a deposit or a seal guaranteeing the future redemption, salvation and inheritance of the Christian. This indwelling Holy Spirit seeks control or domination of our lives. This is what is called being filled with the Spirit. It is a continuous thing, not just a one-off process. It also signifies how much the Holy Spirit has of the life of a Christian. And a Christian we are to be continually filled, and this is meant to be our normal state. Being indwelt by God the Holy Spirit from the moment of conversion, Christians are also to walk in the Spirit, and this is done by desiring holiness, feeding this new nature with God's word in order to renew the mind, and it's communicating with God, talking to him, and by do this, sin will be starved, the old nature will go hungry. And so we are to confess known sin immediately, consciously allowing Jesus Christ total control in all circumstances. And all of this will give a desire to live totally for God. That is what walking in the Spirit is. And then fifthly, he's a God to live for. Verse 28. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. This confirms that this work of the Spirit was to begin when the exiles were turned in faith to the land of their inheritance. The words were spoken to the true Israel, the Israel within Israel, as Paul explains in Romans 9-11. Those whose hearts were true would be truly his, and he would be their God. And this also has application to all Christians, in that they have already become citizens of heaven, residents in a better land, God's greater land, being his people and knowing him as their God, 
something beyond the conception of Ezekiel, and therefore having to be prophesied pictorially in the form of an idea. He could not know then that the land of God's inheritance would become a heavenly land. That would be revealed in the future. The final words are specifically applied in Revelation 21 verse 3 to the new heaven and the new earth. And so, what do we say in conclusion? What about you? How do we make this God relevant? If you are already a Christian here tonight, then it is not because of anything you have done. It is because of the events of Easter that you are a Christian. When God himself took the necessary steps so that all people could have the choice to either follow him or reject him. And we are primarily Christians, not because we come to church services or just happen to have been born in a supposedly Christian country. No, we are primarily Christians because God first chased and harried us into his arms. We are Christians if you are one here tonight because God first loved you. And as a tremendous lover, he beckons and calls people all the time to respond to his call and come back to him. When I was younger, in my more smug moments, as it were, I used to congratulate myself for being a Christian. How proud I was that I, Dave Roberts, good Australian, was a Christian and that God was a jolly lucky God that I had decided to follow him. And it was during one of my less self-deluded moments that I examined myself and I found God pricking my conscience and correcting me. And I read in the New Testament in Mark chapter 10, For the Son of Man came not to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So, if you are a Christian here tonight, Go show and tell the transformation that the all-powerful living God has performed in you. He indwells you through his Holy Spirit. And if, like me, you are a Christian today, our sins were forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross. That is when we had our bath, as it were. That is the point when we were justified before God and we were declared his children. And having been justified already, we don't need a bath anymore but we do need the equivalent of a foot washing daily or every time we take Holy Communion and the cleansing of our sin when we confess it before our God and repent. And if you are not a Christian here today, then be careful. God is actively pursuing you. I, of course, don't know the circumstances in which he is, but I do know that he is. I am confident of that. Just as he chased me, and many other people in this building. He wants all people of all time, all over this earth, to be followers of him. That is why he is gathering, cleansing, and indwelling his people. And if you would like to know more about the Christian faith, then please do not leave here tonight without having talked to somebody about it. Thank you.